Amen. The Bible says, I will therefore, Paul is saying, hey, this is what I want, and this is the direction that I'm giving you. And he says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. And we did a whole thing. We talked about the all men means the all men. Well, here, verse 8, it's not all men. It's all Christian men. It's God-fearing men. You hear that you Hear that phrase down here in the South? I'm a God-fearing man. I hope you're a praying man. I hope you're a praying man. God's will. You want to be in the center of God's will. God's will for all Christians, men and women, is that we pray. You, you, you can't call yourself a Christian and not pray. And it's not, it's not two statues. I grew up praying two statues. I grew up putting my finger in between a bead and then saying a prayer and then putting my finger and moving it to the next bead and saying a prayer. It's not two statues. It's not on beads. It's to a living God. We pray to God. We pray for uh, those that are alive. We don't pray to dead people that sometimes religion calls saints. No, saints are living people. And if you're brought up in a Christian home and you have a, a godly heritage, maybe some of that stuff is taken for granted because we just don't know any other way. But you have a lot of young people that grow up and they got prayer all mixed up. And it all mixed up. They're saying, I will therefore men pray every, everywhere. And you get prayer mixed up is what happened in the Old Testament. God you look at Deuteronomy 13, I believe it is, and some other passages. They start turning their hearts to idols and praying to idols. God says, look, the commandment was you get somebody that starts to get you turned off of God and worshiping him. There was a death sentence in the Old Testament, following after idols, praying to idols. And it says everywhere. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. So it's not just. Well, we show up at the church house, and that's where we pray. The men that were on the ship with Jonah, they were praying. Jonah, when he was in the belly of the fish, he was praying there. <laughs> you can pray everywhere. Lot, he's running for safety. He's, he's praying. Uh, Abraham is, Abraham's servant's praying when he's sitting on a well. Nehemiah is in the, in the middle of a conversation with a king, and Nehemiah is praying. Paul, he finds himself on the shore praying. Paul and Silas find themselves in jail praying. Jesus prayed. He prayed in a garden. He prayed on a mountain. And he prayed on a cross. You can pray anywhere. One of the things that the Jews got mixed up in was they thought it was somehow something. When we get to the temple, and that's the special, we can really pray there. And if we're not careful as Christians, our prayer life can turn into, well, it just happens at the church house. We need to be careful of those things, all of us. And the context here isn't really about restricting prayer. The context, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. It's setting forth God's word opposing those who are Christians that neglect prayer. And that's really the context. Don't neglect prayer. Uh, young ones, you don't want your prayer life to just be when mommy and daddy uh, gather around bedside and pray or at the um, 
breakfast table and dinner table. You want to start to learn from that example, sure. And you want to do that in those places. But you want to start developing your own prayer life so that you develop the habit you can own. And 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, you know, talks about church life. So there's definitely the aspect of prayer in connection with church life. So we don't want to make light of that. Um, go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. We'll go to 24th verse. Paul's on Mars Hill. And they're all involved in superstitions and all that. And so he says in verse number 24, God made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth. And here's the phrase, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life, and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed in the bounds of their habitation. And he goes on, temples is where I want to key in on, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Back at Acts 7, before Paul was converted, he's Saul, and the the that dwelleth not in temples is the same words that Saul heard right before he watches Stephen be stoned to death. And now Paul, is in, in, in where are we? We're in Acts uh, 17. Now Paul is on Mars Hill saying that same phrase. Go back. I want we just take a quick look at it. It's Acts 7. And in verse number 48, here's the cross reference. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Well, Paul's preaching that in Acts 17, but he heard that same phrase right before, look down at the end of the chapter. They stoned Stephen, verse 59, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit I mean God can take the most rebellious sinner and turn him into someone that can be used by him oh to be a Paul oh to be a Paul were you against those that were Christians before you got saved I know we were against God because we were sinners and separated from but some people are just indifferent. They don't really, they, you know, before they get saved, they don't really think about it. Then there's others when they're just outright in opposition to God. They mock the Christians that pray. If we have ever been at a point in our nation where Christianity is mocked, we are at that point now. I spoke to somebody today and he told me, about a news article that he read that where a couple 
got denied adoption rights because they were a Christian, they were a Christian couple, a God-fearing couple. Oh no, we don't want to have the kids grow up in a Christian home. They may learn to pray. They don't want them praying. They want them down. That's where that's where we are. I go back to 1 Timothy 2. We have some distinctions that are being made in this chapter. And there's a contrast made in the distinction of men and women. And so we have a contrast within the context of public worship um, or a a corporate church service, if you will. Look at verse number 11 and 12. Bible says in that same chapter, let the women learn in silence. With all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. We'll talk more about that when we get to that chapter. We'll do a little more of a deep dive. But women can pray in silence. And, you know, there's always the danger of you want to do things by the Bible and you don't want to try to give room for things to be done that wouldn't be in congruent with God's word. So if you have a woman pray, what do you do in the middle of the prayer? She just starts teaching. Well, if she's teaching now, she's usurping authority over the man. And so now we're out of line. Now, and the preacher don't say anything, he's going to be out of line. If he does say something, now he's out of line because her husband's offended. that You embarrassed her in front of everybody. So I, I said all that, did that little rant just to point out the fact that God has some distinction and he has some order for a reason. And if we just err on the side of being cautious, I believe we do well. And so there's that idea of a distinction now. And um, women can certainly pray. Women are admonished to pray. It'd be better. um, It'd be more in line with God's order if the women had their uh, women's prayer group, women's prayer breakfast, women get together before or after church. Um, Women got together with the the little ones on um, Sunday school. Sunday school teachers, a lot of them are are ladies, Christian ladies, who are praying with the children. All that's biblical. All that should be done. I believe we got that uh, an understanding. But also, I would like to say this. You don't always need words to pray. Um, Have you ever prayed to the Lord and you didn't verbally speak? You can do that. Prayer is a big thing. We tend to just put it in a box sometimes and We ought not do that. But what is honestly, what is as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, as a Christian young person, what is your desire? Is your desire to talk to God? Is your desire to commune with God? Is your desire to think about the things of God? We tend to do what we desire. Our thoughts, our our heart, our actions tend to be in line with A prayer box. And I know that corporately we come together and pray, but I also know as Christians, we do need to be careful if this is us, if this is me or if this is you, we do need to be careful about this example. Um, you know, the preseason for football starts. You say, what's that have to do with church? Nothing, but I'm going somewhere with it. 
I'm not a football fan at all, but my dad is. My dad's dad was. My whole family, they're all diehard football. Do you know the preseason games are packed with people? I told my son today, or maybe it was yesterday, I said, I said, son, the sports fans are loyal to their religion. I'm telling you, these preseason games are like midweek services, if you want to make an analogy and tie into where we're going with this. Look, the sports fans are dedicated to their religion. They're doing the chants. They're doing the, the, the motions with the hands. They're, you know, they see other fans that come and they do the grunts, whatever it is associated with the teams. They're offering up prayers to their sports gods. And I'm telling you, if we, as Christians, if we aren't plugged in to God through prayer, God help us that we're critical of the world. <laughs> At least they're dedicated to who they say they're serving. I'm telling you, we need to be dedicated to our God, communion with him, talk with him, pray with him. You know, we don't always need an agenda to get together. It can just be to just pray. That's the agenda. What are we going to get together for? To pray. You ever get going, you get the group together, you get ready to go for an outreach, and then all of a sudden you, you pass a track out, and then it comes to your mind, you know what, I forgot to ask God to help me. You ever do that? <laughs> yeah, let's go door knocking. Okay, yeah, you knock on the door. Your knuckles are rapping on that door. The guy answers. You start talking to him. And midway through that, you realize you did not get your heart right before God. You know what that is? That's us going on the power of our flesh. I've done it. We've all done it, I bet. We can't forget that we need to pray every You have a desire toward God, you'll likely pray every day. I, the Lord, search the heart. What's your desire? For of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We all know those verses. The Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imagination of the thoughts. I'll say this Mom has four children. The oldest son. He knows exactly what to say, and he can put his words together in very clear, understandable sentences. He uses very proper words, the older son. But the second son, when he asks for what he wants, he has trouble putting the words together. The third child, he doesn't really speak at all. He just looks or points or uses some type of body language. To ask mama what he wants. And then the fourth child is just a baby. All that child knows to do is cry. <laughs> Isn't that something? Does the parent, does mama not attend to the needs of the little baby who can only cry? Of course not. Does she not listen to the child that can only point or no. Does she not listen to the one that can't put 
the words together as properly as the eldest son? Of course not. No parent would do that. And I'm telling you, our Heavenly Father, you don't need an eloquent prayer. You just need to come to God in prayer. And he will listen. And that's the way it ought to be. Just go to God. Some practical examples, we can pray with our families in the morning, in the evening. You ever see the signs around town, pray at four? I'm not quite sure what all that's about, but somebody that's convicted about four o'clock, you got to pray. Okay, great. <laughs> but, but, I mean, that's somebody that's plugged in four o'clock, I'm praying. Good, good. Praise the Lord. What's your four? What's your pray at four? What's your prayer at five? Is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Is it before? Your meal? Is it also after your meal with devotion? What is it? It can look different with every family. But I'm telling you, how many of you live in a house that doesn't have a roof? None of us. You know what prayer is for the Christian? It's the roof over your head. <laughs> Why would you live the Christian life without a roof? Why would you live the Christian life without prayer? Pray. 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 You don't want to have a family without a prayer. Go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. I've seen this um, meme. I don't know if somebody sent it to me or I saw it pop up on Facebook. I forget where I saw it or if somebody sent it to me. But the meme was, it was lunchtime at school, and the picture was a boy who was bowing his head, holding his hands, and he was praying over his food, and this was at the school. And in the background, the picture also shows the other kids sneering and laughing and pointing and mocking him because he was a Christian that was praying. Peer pressure is a strong thing. It's a strong thing. Young people, the reason I'm asking you tonight to think about where your prayer life is is because the world's going to put some pressure on you. Now, it might not come to, at school if you're blessed to go to a Christian school. It might not come if you're homeschooled if you're blessed to be homeschooled. But there's going to be a finger pointing at you uh, either through the world or through a friend or through some means, Satan is going to try to get in there and get the laughing and the sneering and, and the finger pointing to get you to not do what you know you ought to do. You got to learn to stand alone. You're going to have to learn to pray. Alone. Learn to get alone with God. And don't just do it in private. Don't just do it at the church house. Learn to, to learn to do it publicly. We'll get to some of that in a minute. And maybe tie some thoughts, loose ends on that thought together. And Matthew 6, I believe where we're at now. Matthew 6, look at verse 15. Matthew 6. Oh, let's start at verse 5. And when thou prayest, Matthew 6, verse 5, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, 
for they loved to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Now, is Jesus saying that it's a sin to pray in the synagogue? No. Is Jesus saying it's a sin to be on a street corner and pray? No. Jesus is saying it's wrong to do those things on the street or in the synagogue or wherever you are if your heart's motive is, well, look at me. You want to be just seen of men. That's the problem. Here I am. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. But when you pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Um, also notice that many, we, we sent the text message out to start praying for Connie. Did you pray for Connie and then repeat that same prayer for Connie and then the next day repeat that same prayer for Connie? Look, that's not, God's not saying you can't say, repeat the same prayer over. We pray all week for the same person. It's probably going to be the same prayer. God isn't saying, don't come to me and repeat the prayer. What he's saying is, is it just vain and worthless and your heart's not into it? It's just as the heathen did. Okay, so it's vain repetition. Verse number eight, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth. What things ye have need of before ye ask? After this manner, therefore ye pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Be good to acknowledge God first. He <laughs> that don't do that. Thy kingdom come, that will be done. Uh, that means not our will. When you, when you go to God, Help me, Holy Ghost, help me, because I know when I go to God, I know it's whatever I want. It's got to be the will of God. <laughs> Have you ever prayed like that? I mean, after all, Lord, it's me. I mean, I thought this through. <laughs> I came up with a conclusion, God. I, know, I mean, this has to be your will. I'm telling you, we need to backstep a little bit and say, thy will be done. Because a lot of times the answer to the prayer is no. My will is going to be done, not your idea that you're trying to make my will. The Holy Spirit told me. The Holy Spirit didn't tell me. I told him. And I want to make it the Holy Spirit tell me. we got to be careful of those things. And how do you measure all that out? Only way I know to measure it out is just, just stay on the prayer. Maybe amp it up a little faster. Stay on the prayer. Meditate on it. Go before God. And I believe if you just let it play out long enough, God's going to give you an answer to the prayer. You sure about that? That's the best I've got. You've got something better? I mean, let me hear it. What I'm saying is, is it, are you looking, is your desire for the Father's will to be done? I know that for sure. I know that for sure.
Um, forgive us our debts, we forgive our debtors, and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A lot of things that stumps people is they just can't forgive. Did you repent and trust Christ? He forgave you of your sin. Washed you clean. We should return the same to others. How do you do that? Through prayer. Through prayer. Don't neglect prayer. That's private prayer. Talked a little bit earlier about Nehemiah. He goes to God. And he's praying to God. He's, he's talking to a king. He's just spontaneous prayer. But in his prayer, in the book of Nehemiah, he, he says, thy servant, thy servant, thy servant. You know, if you come to prayer with the posture of, I'm a servant, Lord, I'm your servant. Help me, Lord, serve you. That helps to humble us and put the little check on making sure we're really honestly searching for the Father's will. All right, let's go back to 1 Timothy. And I know Baptists are afraid to go Pentecostal. So have you heard the term Bapticostal? Have you ever heard those types of phrases? Someone mentioned that to me before, you know, a Bapticostal. Right, let's see if we can get some help out of this verse. I will therefore that men pray everywhere. And here's the dreaded four words. Lifting up holy hands. Just because the charismatics and the tongue talkers and all the folks on that uh, Asbury revival are all having their hands up in the air doing silly things. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do that. You just want to do it with the right motive, and you want to do it with a biblical mandate. And you can lift your hand. It's okay to do that. Solomon said in Proverbs 15, um, well, it says, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And God says in Proverbs 15, the prayer of the upright is his delight. He, in verse 29 of Proverbs 15, he says, He heareth the prayer of the righteous. And when you lift up your hands, in Old Testament times, when they lifted up their hands, it was an external indicator of who they were praying to. It's not a New Testament command that you have to lift your hands. But the New Testament tells us that we can lift our hands if we so choose to. But if you're going to lift them, it better be without wrath and doubting. But in the Old Testament, it was an external indicator. Psalm 63, for example, it says, I will lift up my hands in thy name. The blessed, they, were, they lifted up their hands toward heaven. They were expecting the blessing where it would come would be from heaven. It, they weren't looking for a blessing. He, they were looking for the blessing in the right place. Amen. So that was played out in the Old Testament. 
Psalms 119, it says, My hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, which I have loved. <laughs> and I will meditate in thy statutes. Psalms 134 says, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Bible says in Lamentations 3, let us lift our heart with our hands unto God in the heavens. Amen. Don't tell me we can't lift up our hands. We've got a mandate to do it. We can do it. Football season is starting. You know what they're all doing? Somebody in tights runs into the end zone that has some weird helmet on. And when he gets into, when he passes this line and he gets into the end zone, Everybody stands up. And you can't hardly get Christians to get excited enough about God to just. I'm not making fun. All I'm saying is we have a mandate. Why does the world get so excited about cheering for a sports hero? And they don't have the same excitement. And I'm not talking about everybody's personality needs to be type AAA like I am. <laughs> God help us all. Whether you type A or type B, I don't even know what the other types are. It's just. I don't even know if that's a thing or if that's a true thing or not. All I'm saying is people are different. People's personalities are different. Their demeanors are different. It's not all about everybody doing it exactly the same way and all that. It's about if you're excited about something, you will lift your hand. Yeah, you know, you, you you, you ever watch your kids play sports and, you know, they couldn't swing that ball back straight for half the season. And then all of a sudden they step up to the plate and they actually swing it straight and they, they tip the ball and they actually run and get the first base. Yeah, boy, you know, you ever do that because you're excited. We should get excited about God. It's okay to lift up the hand. Uh, in front of the congregation, Solomon stood up before the altar of the Lord, and he spread forth his hands towards heaven. We see that during battle, Moses held up his hands when they were battling the Amalekites. Um, he put his hands up when he was fighting those guys. Thief on the cross, actually a picture of that posture when he, he had nothing to offer God. There wasn't a baptistry. There was no watcher. There was no good works. That thief brought nothing to God. He was empty-handed. But it does picture that hands, um, that posture there. So that's that's interesting. Um, look at Hebrews 12. I'll show you an interesting passage. I think we were here a little bit ago. Hebrews chapter 12. About chastening for the believer. And by the time you get down to verse number 12, Hebrews 12, 12 it is. It says, wherefore, lift up 
the hands which hang down and the feeble knee. All this despising the Lord, all this chastening of the Lord comes because if you're if you're a child of God and the Lord has to chasten you and the Lord has to, you know what you've done or I've done, we've backslid. There's a little bit of a picture here in Hebrews 12 that says, get that hand up. Your hands are sunken down. You've been backslidden. You've been chastened by the Lord. You feel, oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Sometimes just to look up, just to hand up, thank you, Lord. It's a posture. Not a requirement. But certainly hinted at and indicated that it's, it's a good thing. Good thing. And you can get that hand up. It's, it's okay. Your prayer life needs a little revival. Hebrews 12, 12 be a good spot. Uh, it talks about lifting up holy hands verse number 8 in 1 Timothy 2 um, it says without wrath and doubting so there's a qualifier there God has some order don't doubt what you're praying you certainly don't want to have anger or ill will towards someone you certainly don't want to have a cold heart or distrust toward the Lord and it's the only time in the Bible where you see the phrase without wrath and I believe God is trying to use that to express the seriousness of how we come to him in prayer. We don't want to be a spiteful person. We don't want to come to the Lord with malicious intents. God is love and he that dwells in love dwells in God. Our life should be filled with kindness and goodness. That's the Lord and so should our prayer life. You don't want to pray and aim prayer. You know, it's it's. Well, you know, I might be upset at this brother over here. And so, you know, in the midst of the congregation, we all bear, bow our heads. And I got my sights set right on that brother. Oh, dear Lord, would you help brother so-and-so? He's, he, he, he's, he's such a selfish person. Lord, he really needs your help. Would you just give him your anointing? I mean, you got your, you got your sights right on the guy. You know what that is? That's with wrath. And God says he hates that. Never aim a prayer. Never aim a prayer at somebody. Because you got some wrath in your heart. You got some malice. You might just want to get to the secret place. The prayer closet. Try to get that thing sorted out with God. And if you're upset at that brother. Go to him. But going to him in the midst of the public congregation. Wouldn't really be what God wants. Okay. No. I certain. I mean, how would you feel if it was aimed at you? Not good. So it wouldn't be a Christian thing to do. A lot of times, we lose sight of that qualifier without wrath and doubt. Um, a few verses here, and we'll and we'll close out. I want to look at Matt, uh, John thirteen. Start to close. John chapter number thirteen. Uh, verse number 18. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. I want to get through these last final verses, make a few points, and we'll close. Matt, uh, John 13, verse number 18. It says, I speak not to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth 
me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked on one another, doubting of whom he spake. You know what doubt? The disciples didn't even know what to say. When Jesus said that, they're just sitting there. Uh, I don't even know what to say. A lot of times that's what doubt does. It brings, I don't know what to say. I don't know. What to say. You don't want that to happen. When he says, come to him without, without wrath and doubting, he wants you to know that his ways are right. He is full of truth. He is hearing your prayer and you just sit tight. You don't have to come to God. I just don't know what to say. You don't have to be like the disciples. You say what's on your heart to God. And he will hear. He will hear your prayer. The Bible says you don't have to turn there. But it says and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will. He heareth us. Uh, we'll do, we'll do, uh, let's do Matthew 21 and 1 John 3, and then we'll be done. Matthew 21. We'll get both spots, and then we'll close here. Matthew 21 and 1 John 3. Matthew 21 and 1 John 3. Okay, there it is. All right, we'll do uh, Matthew 21 first. Matthew 21, look at verse number 17. And he left them and went out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned to the city, he hungered. When he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it. and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thence, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you have faith, and doubt not, you shall not only do this thing which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. I'll just say this regarding this passage. If you want a successful prayer line, you've got to believe. Or you're just saying words. It would be vain repetition. And doubt in your heart is unbelief. And it's not, God, I have to have my way, or if you don't give me my way, I'm going to doubt you, God. It's God, I'm in the midst of this situation. I'm praying that your will is this. If your will isn't this, what I think it should be, Lord, 
I still believe that you have what is best for me in this situation. Whether it's to test me, Lord, I believe. Whether it's to try me, Lord, I believe. Whether it's to give me a quick win so I can get back in the fight for you, Lord, I believe. If we don't come to God believing, it's a vain repetition. It's just your heart full of doubt. And we must believe that God's answer to the prayer is right. Now, you young ones, I am sure you pray the prayer. You pray the prayer that all kids pray. Mom, can I please have dessert before dinner? Can I please have this cookie? And it's, you know, 45 minutes before dinner. And the answer to the prayer comes back. No, you can't. And you've got to trust that that is the best thing for you. And a lot of our prayer life can be summed up like that. God, can we have? No. And you just got to trust and know that that is the best thing for you and I. Last, 1 John 3, we'll close. 1 John 3, verse 21. I'll, I'll ask the question, where's your confidence? Beloved. 1 John 3, verse 21. If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments. How's your life as a Christian being obedient to God? And do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Do you reward your children when they do right? Here's an extra cookie. Here's an extra. We do. We reward our children when they do right. We reward our grandchildren. Well, I mean, that can go either way. They're your grandkids. So you just, but no, honestly, you reward your youngins when they do right. God's got some reward. Now, it's not going to be what this what the fakers on TV tell you. But God wants to reward us. And if you're living your life trying to please him, he will reward you. He will answer your prayers. And he will answer them so that you get and I get. And may I say, church family, that we as Pilgrim Baptists will get what is best for us, not only individually, not only with our own separate families, but when we come together corporately as a local body, if we can apply these principles, God will answer our prayers and give us what is best for us. Not always what we want, but always what is best for us. Let's trust him in that matter.